Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be giving my commentary on Sister Wives Season 5, Episode 7, Polygamous Pilgrimage into the Past. The family is road trip in this episode. They're headed to Nauvoo. Cody loses his shit and more. It's Logan's birthday, so Christine has made her world-famous mock tapioca pudding. And tonight, Cody is announcing a big surprise to the family. Cody is going to be putting his family in two RVs and heading to Nauvoo, Illinois. The teens are pissed with the announcement. The younger kids are stoked about it. Maddie points out that her whole family jammed into two campers for two weeks doesn't sound fun and exciting. I don't blame her. Cody tells the family that they are taking a church history tour. So they're going to rent the two RVs and Cody estimates it'll be a three-day drive to Nauvoo. Gwen is stoked to sleep in an RV as McKelty mimics pointing a gun to her head. So we juxtapose the little kids being thrilled about this and the older kids knowing what a clusterfuck it's going to be. And of course, McKelty mimics pointing a gun to her head with her hand. So that's her excitement level about this trip. I really would feel that way too about taking this trip. I wouldn't want to do it. The teens know how much of a clusterfuck this is going to be. McKelty isn't excited about going to Nauvoo. She says it doesn't scream fun. She thinks it's boring and they're going to have to learn all about their history and their culture and their religion. Aspen would rather that the older kids were allowed to take a trip to California. Christine points out that it's a family vacation, but a family vacation is a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. And she knows that's why the kids, the older kids, are bitching about it. Cody says that this trip to Nauvoo, it's a pilgrimage. He says it's not where Mormonism started, but the LDS church got strong there. So for him, he says it's like going to Jerusalem. Cody points out that so much of their church history revolves around Nauvoo, Illinois. Cody explains that's where the founder of their church, Joseph Smith, introduced plural marriage into their faith, and it ended up leading to his eventual death. Cody also points out that Joseph Smith has a lot of significance to them. He taught their religious philosophy, and Cody believed it, and he says because of that, he has four wives and 17 kids because of Joseph Smith's testimony. And Cody explains that to the LDS church, to the mainstream Mormon church, he is a problem. And of course, Cody is FLDS. He is a polygamist, and the mainstream Mormons don't practice polygamy. They don't advocate for it. And they struggled their entire history to separate themselves from this identity and from any type of association with polygamist culture. Now, Cody says, in their perspective, they are the same church. They share the same history. They share the same fundamental beliefs. But of course, Mormonism doesn't advocate for polygamy. In Cody's perspective, he says they're the same church because they share the same history. Mary is going to be the one organizing the trip. It's going to be 1,600 miles from Vegas to Nauvoo. And Christine complains it's going to be at least four days of driving. Janelle explains that she loves that they're going to get away and go on vacation because it's been super chaotic with building the homes. She wants to get away. She wants to de-stress. Somehow, I don't think 20 plus people jam-packed in two RVs traveling 1,600 miles is going to be a lovely paradise vacation where you de-stress. Cody says it's trading one kind of chaos for another. And Mary is very stressed about how everything's going to go. Cody points out that all of the adults, they agree to this, they pick this trip together, and he wonders why now all of the wives are apprehensive about it. Because the wives are going to be the ones who have to deal with the hell and the chaos. And Cody will get to be a diva doing whatever is convenient for him. Christine points out, of course, the brown chaos and how the browns always are when they travel. But Cody and Mary now are estimating three days of travel time each way. Christine points out it's not going to work that way. And she also points out that someone might want to stop. They might want to fit in other things along the way that maybe Mary and Cody haven't planned for. And she is really hoping that there is going to be a lot of flexibility. But of course, Mary puts her foot down. She says they aren't going to do something if it isn't in the plan. It's not happening. 
And she warns, these are going to be long, full days of traveling and they're only sticking to her plan. There isn't going to be flexibility. There aren't going to be extra stops. Now, Christine wishes she wasn't going because she says it sounds stressful and they're going to have to drive through multiple states. It's a very long trip and 21 people are going on this trip. Robin's sister Tara is also going, but Hunter and Logan are lucky. The gods are shining down upon them. They don't have to go on this trip. They get to stay home. Maddie is jealous of them because she would rather stay home too. And Janelle explains Hunter has a good excuse. He has football camp and she does feel weird leaving him behind. She struggles with it. Hunter, of course, would rather stay home and go to football camp than go on this trip. He points out it's going to be hell. They're going to be driving for three days straight and he knows it wouldn't have been any fun for him. Maddie predicts that the first day is going to be calm and then after that, her words are, it will get bad. She knows it will get bad. Christine explains that she and Robin are planning to stay in hotels and Mary and Janelle will be the ones who will stay in the RVs. Christine doesn't like sleeping in RVs and Janelle really, of course, wanted to stay in the RV. We know, of course, that that had always been her dream. And she really wants the RV. She doesn't want the hotel at all. And Mary says it was a very easy decision because she'll be the one. She'll sleep in the RV. She'll sleep in the hotel. She doesn't mind. So it was an easy decision to decide where everyone was going to sleep because Christine and Robin were very opposed to the RV right from the start. And Mary was easy going with it. She really didn't mind. And of course, Janelle wanted to sleep in the RV. Cody says it's because of the babies because Robin and Christine have younger children that they get to stay in the hotels. Mary doubts that babies are a legit excuse or that the idea that they had babies or younger children had anything to do with it. She feels that's not a legit excuse and Christine admits that she is just a princess. Now, Cody suggests that maybe Mary should have a baby so then she will have an excuse to stay in the hotel rooms. Mary was amused by the joke. She was laughing. It didn't bother her. But when you consider Mary's struggles with fertility and that Cody was pushing her to try IVF again, she was hesitant. And then she came around. She wanted to try and Cody rejected her. I thought it was a little insensitive to complain that, well, if she wants to be the one to stay in the hotel and she wants that privilege, she needs to have a baby. Now, she was laughing, but I was surprised Mary was laughing at that joke because Mary not having the dream she wanted of having as many kids as she wished for, that really upsets her a lot. And she compensates for that in real life with not having the amount of kids by having a big house and stuff and things. And it really upsets her that she wasn't able to have her dream. And then when it comes to home size, she always says it's unfair for her to get less or a smaller home just because she didn't get to have all of the kids she wanted to fill it. Yet this joke here didn't bother Mary. This joke Cody made, it relegates Mary to an RV unless she decides to have a baby. And Mary really didn't seem bothered by it. And I was surprised by that because in other situations, she's bothered by it and she compensates for it. Now, Cody points out that for the first time since the move, they feel comfortable visiting Utah because he says now the investigation has been dropped So he knows he can go there. So the family's stopping in St. George, Utah. They're going to meet the owners of Family Pond. And the owners, of course, are Cody's buddies. And they also happen to own the Hiram Smith home. And the family is going to be staying there while they're in Nauvoo. It's a historical home where Joseph Smith's brother lived. Chris, of course, is the family friend who took McKelty in. And McKelty worked at that family pawn shop, and she also met Tony around that time. And Chris was the officiant at Tony and McKelty's wedding. And he is also the guy who loaned Cody gobs of money for my sister wife's closet. Chris, of course, has lots of Mormon historical collectible stuff at his pawn shops because they're all in Utah. So he has a historical print of Brigham Young. And Brigham Young became the leader of the Mormon church when Joseph Smith died and they called him a modern Moses because apparently he helped move the LDS from Nauvoo across the plains to the Salt Lake Valley. Robin explains that they love 
Brigham Young in their family, and she refers to him as Uncle Brigham, and she explains that they all think that Brigham Young looks a lot like Cody. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary herself sees the resemblance, but Christine never thought Brigham Young was attractive. So when people would point out the resemblance, Christine would always think they were nuts. Mary thinks that it's the hair that gives the similarity. Robin thinks Brigham Young is good looking. This woman will say absolutely anything to stroke Cody's ego. Mary jokes that she guesses Robin must like big hairy guys. Yeah, guys that look like Brigham Young. Now, Christine thinks it's weird. She says it's not her thing. And Cody postulates that Brigham Young probably had to have 12 wives at least. And Cody says it must have been a struggle. He really has a lot of empathy for him as a plural husband, having possibly had 12 wives at least. Christine feels like monogamous look at them and they think that they could just never live plural marriage. Just like the Browns themselves look at Brigham Young and they think they could never live that magnitude of plural marriage. They could never do 12 wives in their family. Now, the plan for the first day was to get from Vegas to Colorado, 525 miles in one day. Now, Mary guesses that maybe under normal circumstances, 500 miles could take eight or nine hours. And with the Brown family, it ended up taking 15 or 16 hours. Over 20 people on a road trip is not normal circumstances. I'm really not surprised it took twice the time. I'm surprised it didn't take even longer. When Christine realizes it's going to take 16 hours of driving a day, she really starts wishing she stayed in Vegas. And Cody explains that they needed bathroom breaks every few hours with that many people and that many little ones. And it takes more than 15 minutes every time they stop they have to stop for at least an hour each time. And Janelle points out their reality that they're a big family and they are just going to always be slow travelers. And Christine thinks they just suck at traveling. Cody put his foot down and he warns the woman that they cannot live like this. He's starting to get pissy. He yells that they can't be four hours late everywhere they go. They must make better time. It's late. It's been a full day of traveling. They finally get to the RV park, but Cody demands he insists to have an adult conversation with all of the adults. So they sit down for a family meeting at 11 p.m. at night after 15 or 16 hours of driving. Christine, all she wants to do is sleep, and Janelle thinks they need a schedule, and she wants them to leave a half hour later at 8 to be realistic. And Mary points out, well, listen, eight was always the plan, but today they planned for eight and they ended up at the RV park three hours late regardless. So Mary wants to be out of here by 7 a.m. And she really stresses the importance of the schedule. Mary is concerned. She really doesn't want to show up late every single night at the RV park. Christine thinks a schedule is great, but tomorrow... When the same thing happens and when they have to meet at 11 to discuss the schedule, she is going to be just as cranky as she is today. She knows regardless of what they talk about or what they plan on, it's going to be the same chaos tomorrow. Cody complains that he can't take cranky Christine. What about cranky Kotex? What about the amount of times Cody's ex-wives have to deal with cranky Cody? Let's not forget Cody would always use a warning of getting in a negative mood 
to ward off his wives using their voice to talk about things he found to be inconvenient to him. So I want to know, how often was Cody cranky, Mr. Pissy Pants? We're going to see a toddler demanding obedience in just a bit. Just wait. Next, it's the morning on day two. And now Mary hopes that they really stay on schedule. Mary is very stressed. And Leo complains that nobody knows what they're doing. And she says it's annoying. Everyone's at the end of their rope. According to Mary, the plan is that they drive through Colorado and then they stop in an RV park in Kansas to spend the night. Cody complains that it's another 16-hour day and he knows that they're going to be driving until midnight. And Cody is almost done at this point. Aspen points out that it'll be different being next door to everyone in homes because everyone will have their own space. But in a camper, in this situation, with everyone jam-packed together, Everyone has to be next to each other, and it's hectic, it's chaos. Maddie likes road trips in general, but not with the whole family packed into two campers. She complains, it's loud, Maddie's frustrated. At this point, she just wants to get there, like everyone else. Now, the family finally gets to the RV park in Kansas, and it's late at night, again, very long day, of course. Now, Cody tries to maintain the schedule when traveling. He says he tries to keep his rotation and to spend time with each of his wives. And he rotates based upon where each wife is. As Cody's explaining, Robin points out she hates that word. She hates the word rotate. Mary piles on. She hates that word too. So Cody questions if he even ever used the word rotate. He used it literally two seconds ago, but he tries to backpedal. He doesn't want to deal with it. Now, Janelle points out that when they travel, Cody usually gets overwhelmed and he's often grumpy when they travel. Big surprise there. Christine talks about Cody's anger and she says when Cody is angry, it's too much. She says it's too much to deal with, but other times she just has a positive attitude and she thinks, Well, in a few minutes, she can turn this around, she can switch this around, and Cody can be happier. Cody's response to Christine talking about how she deals with his anger is he mimics her in an old witch's voice, and he points his finger at the camera, mimicking Christine, demanding, be be happy right now. Christine says she doesn't do that. It's crazy that the wives all felt responsible for Cody's mood and for his emotional state. And they all felt responsible like they had to change themselves or what they were doing or how they felt that day to cater to him and his moods and his anger to be convenient for him, to please him, to assuage that anger when he as the husband should be their support system. It seems like lots of mental gymnastics, lots of walking on eggshells, lots of emotional roller coasters. And Cody used his mood, his anger, his emotions, in my opinion, as a way to manipulate the wives. They were conditioned that Cody's emotions come first. Cody's anger comes first. Cody's mood comes first. And they seem to have to cater to a very unstable guy and his moods when his emotional health, his anger issues, all of that is his responsibility. And he, as a plural husband, should have been there to uphold the women in this plural situation and all of the emotional suffering they went through as a result of their situation all being married to him. Instead, they had to cater to him and they had to shove their emotions and their voices and their feelings in a box to coddle him. So it's now day three of the trip and the family is headed to Missouri. And Robin points out that the plan was to do the trip to get there in three days. But on day three, they already know they are very behind schedule and there is no way they're gonna make it in three days. And Cody complains. He says many factors slow them down. It's the wind. It's their fatigue. And Cody is concerned about all of them getting enough sleep because they're getting to bed way past midnight every night. They're driving these long days. And so Cody is really concerned about traveling and he's very worried about the wind. The wind is really bad. The wind keeps getting worse and they're fighting the weather the whole way there. Now, Cody wonders if they're going to be shut down because the wind is so bad. The RV awnings are even catching the wind. So they had to pull off the road to figure stuff out because of the conditions were so bad. 
Cody's getting in one of his moods. And Cody says he had two nights in a row where he's driving all day. Today they're fighting the wind. The wind is really bad. And he complains he only had four hours of beauty sleep two nights in a row. And he wants to make excuses for his bad behavior that's about to happen. Now, Cody complains that he's done. He wants Mary to take a break from driving. But Mary's fine. Mary doesn't want a break. She likes driving. She feels fine. But Cody doesn't think that Mary is fine to drive. He complains she's had four hours of sleep, yet he just said he also had four hours of sleep. So how could he be much better than Mary? Cody doesn't think Mary is fine to drive, all because of this four hours of sleep. And Robin was in Mary's RV. I don't think it's about the four hours of sleep. I think Mary, her head was clear. She wasn't all emotional. Maybe she had four hours of sleep. Cody complains he's sleep deprived too, and he is acting unhinged. So I would think Mary would be the better driver. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, Robin was in Mary's RV. And in my opinion, I don't think it was about Mary's condition or Cody being concerned. I think Cody wanted to spend time with Robin. He wanted to drive the RV so he could be around Robin and say he was relieving Mary. But that's just my theory. Mary is perplexed by Cody's crazy behavior. And she wonders why Cody is telling her not to drive, that she's not okay. She says she's fine driving and he is the one who needs rest. Yeah, he needs rest and he's acting like it. Again, in my opinion, it's because Cody wants an excuse to travel with his favorite wife. Cody says he stopped because he was so tired himself that he was falling asleep. But Mary insists she is fine. Cody, of course, is like a dog with a bone. He doesn't want to let this go because he wants a justifiable excuse to be with Robin, in my opinion. Cody says he wants a rotation in place, but Mary feels like Cody is forcing her to not drive even though she knows she's fine, and Cody obviously may not be fine. Now, Cody asks Mary if she wants him to ride with her. I don't think Cody wants to ride with Mary. I think Cody wants to be with Robin, and Robin is in Mary's RV. Cody is pissed that Mary won't capitulate and let him drive. Now, Mary wonders why Cody doesn't want her to drive. She's very confused by this whole thing, and it doesn't make any sense. Now, Mary insists whenever they're ready, she is ready to go, and she's going to be the one driving. Cody himself admits he was ready to melt down. He complains that he was too exhausted to sit there and delegate, and he says he wanted to bark orders, and he wanted to have his orders obeyed. We get that word obey coming in hot season five. So this is way back in season five, and Cody is demanding obedience. Christine points out that she thinks the word obey is a four-letter word, and she thinks all of them as his wives do their best. And Christine says they get that he's tired now, they get that he's stressed, but for Cody to throw out, I think you should obey me, that's offensive. Even back then, Cody was demanding obedience. Whenever he was stressed, whenever he was tired, just to make things easier for him and to his convenience. Now, Christine is pointing out that's offensive. She respects herself. And even back then, the idea of obeying Cody just didn't sit well with her. And then we have the favorite wife, Robin, who in later seasons, Cody praises for her obedience. And Robin really seems to feel proud of that. I wonder when the feigned obedience will get too suffocating for her, considering she is now Cody's only wife for him to be projecting his resentment on. Cody has weaseled his way into Mary's trailer. He's not going to be driving, but at least he's in there with his favorite wife. And Cody bitches that they just keep waiting. They haven't left yet. And Cody explains when he gets grumpy, it's hard to sell everyone on leaving now at the same time and doing it in a respectful, nice, kind way. Robin asks Cody what they're waiting for. And Cody gets really pissed off and he slams the RV door and he leaves in anger to try and get everyone corralled. 
Robin, of course, is really confused at Cody's behavior, as if she's never seen Cody angry like this. Mary doesn't know what's wrong. Robin explains that there was a huge windstorm on day three, so all of a sudden, they didn't know what they're going to do. Now, how could the windstorm be all of a sudden? If you're going to be driving, why not check the weather ahead of time so there aren't surprises along the way? How sudden could it really have been? I wonder at that. Now, anyways, the Browns are tired, she is stressed, and Cody explains he had it, he had reached his limit, so he lost it. Mary didn't know where it even came from, where Cody's outburst came from. Mary doesn't even understand what Cody is really mad about. She wonders if he is mad that she insists on driving. And she says she's not tired, she can drive. She's surprised that made Cody that mad. Mary says it's really not a big deal. And Cody explains two things were going on. He wants to make excuses for his outburst. He says he was tired and he was trying to make it so he could ride with every single wife, but he couldn't get his words out, so he stormed off like a toddler and he couldn't figure it out. He says he couldn't figure out basic communication. So Cody couldn't figure out basic communication, yet he demands to be the leader of the family in later seasons, claiming that his wives are the ones who prevented him from being the amazing leader he knows he could be for the family. The guy gets slightly stressed, just barely stressed, and he can't even handle basic communication skills. He can't control himself or his anger or his emotions, but he wants to be the leader. But I don't see how he would ever be capable of leading others. And the excuse that Cody was wanting to ride with each wife is absolute bullshit. I think Cody wanted Mary to take a break from driving. and He wanted the RV to himself with Robin, his favorite wife, and he was pissed He couldn't get Mary to stop driving so that he could drive so he could be with Robin and have that excuse like he wants. He couldn't come out and say it and he was pissed and he blew up and him claiming he's tired gets to be his justifiable excuse in his mind alone as to why he was a dick to everyone around him and as to why he had the emotional maturity of a dingbat. It's okay, he's an asshole, he's tired. Listen, Being tired doesn't prevent one's ability to control their emotions or to communicate, especially if you consider yourself a person who is an exceptional leader. Now, can you imagine the CEO of a big company having a meltdown, slamming doors, being a dick, and then excusing it? Oh, I was tired. I was a little stressed. Imagine how much stress and tension a manager at a company is under. Occasionally, they might lose it in very intense situations, but they are under constant pressure, constant stress, and they are able to behave and handle their emotions. They're still able to communicate and get shit done. And this meltdown Cody has, slamming doors, being stressed, is a perfect example of why Cody could never be a leader, not of his own family and not in business either, in my opinion. Cody rides with Mary and Robin and they head off and Cody jokes he was so exhausted so he wants everyone to just stop discussing his lack of brain function in the confessional scene. Well, I was so tired. Can we stop explaining my lack of brain function, guys? Can we stop commenting on my outburst? It's okay. I was tired. I have an excuse for why I'm a dick. He was tired. It's excusable. Poor Cody. Poor Cody. Always excuses, never accountability. Christine explains how important Nauvoo, Illinois is to their faith and to their church. It's where Joseph Smith established this community and it's also where he was murdered. So the family is stopping to see some historical sites for their faith. They're going to be stopping also along the way at Truckhenge near Topeka, Kansas. And Truckhenge is awesome. Ron Lessman is the owner of Truckhenge. He is a charming fellow, free spirit. And Ron explains to the Browns that the county brought in search warrants. They wanted him to remove his trucks. They wanted him to pick them up. So he picked his trucks up. Ron is a colorful character and he explains how he picked his trucks up. He gives the middle finger. He's very expressive and he's not exactly kid friendly. But I tell you, Ron gave this episode a lot more color and charm than usual. Ron explains that he got public nuisance charges. He went to court and he explained he picked his trucks up. 
He has him standing up in cement. He created an art piece out of it rather than removing the trucks. And he gives the finger again to express how he feels about it. I like Ron. I love people who are just themselves, no matter what, who just don't give a fuck. And they are authentically them. And Ron is one of those people. Now, Cody imitates Ron and they blur out Cody giving the finger. And Cody says he supports Ron. All of the teenagers, of course, they love Trockenge. They love Ron. They got a kick out of posing with Ron, all giving the finger. I loved it. And that would have been the highlight of the trip for me as well. I really like Free Spirits. Now, Cody says he had no clue he was raising a bunch of hippies. Cody says he loved Trockenge. He loves farmer-style hoarding. Now, that made sense to me because, of course, Cody wanted the barn dominium so he could hoard and he generously wanted to throw Mary in that barn dominium with all of the stuff he didn't want anymore. Christine wasn't feeling truck hens. She didn't really like Ron. She says Ron drove her nuts and she complains that Ron lives in the middle of nowhere. He makes everything by himself. He hates the government and Christine can't believe it. To Christine, this is unreal. And Cody says, Christine is just a princess. Ron says he has enough trouble with one wife, so he would never have more than one wife, but he is a man that believes in live and let live. He says, let people live how they want. And he says, it's nobody's business how you live your life. And he feels as long as you aren't shooting or killing anyone, if you want to have five wives, that's the American way. I agree, live and let live, and no one should have a right to tell you how you're allowed to live, provided it involves consenting adults. Live and let live. Now, Cody loved Truckhenge. The kids did too. They get into the RV park so late though, and Cody has another meltdown because the hotel is 12 miles away. Cody is frustrated. He's getting aggravated. He needs to stop. He needs everybody out of his face. And he says he had no idea the hotel was so far away. He's pissed, demanding, get out of my face, everyone. Get out of my face. Next, Cody warns Mary that he's done. He stomps around, bitching that he isn't leaving early tomorrow. He's angry. And Mary tells Cody she doesn't think he needs to be barking at her about it. But Cody says he's just letting Mary know ahead of time not to plan on sticking on schedule or leaving early. They're not leaving early. Christine excuses Cody's second tantrum of the day, and she says it was really late, everyone was really tired, and there was a lot of tension. Baby Cody was, he was just tired, guys. He was just tired, guys. It's like a mother making excuses for their out-of-sorts toddler because they didn't get to stick to their sleep schedule that day, except Cody's a grown man. There's a lot of tension and Cody is still bitching that the hotel is a hole 12 miles away and he has to be the one to chauffeur people to the hotel first. He doesn't want to do it, so Kotex bitches that now he won't be going to sleep until 1 or 2 a.m. And it's been that late where he gets to sleep that late every night this week and he is tired. Baby needs a nap. Wow, wow, wow. Baby needs a nap. Cody says he is ready to stop camping. He's done. He's sick of it. And they haven't even reached their destination yet. Everyone's miserable, including the kids. Aspen explains how everyone is fighting at this point in the trip. Gwen didn't have fun today. Everyone is in a pissy mood. Maddie complains they're all sick of each other. I don't know how anyone thought that shoving 21 people into two RVs would be a good idea. This is a shit show wrapped in red flags. Between the five adults, when they came up with this plan, there should have been enough alarm bells ringing to figure the way this trip is planned would be a total clusterfuck and that they could do it differently. It amazes me that they all signed off on this and no one had an alarm bell go off. Aspen explains that Cody is stressed, he's impatient to get there, and he's feeling overwhelmed with how hectic it is. Everyone's making excuses for Cody. This is not an excuse for a grown man to be a dick and treat everyone like shit. It's also not an excuse to demand obedience. A frustrated Cody now demands a meeting with the adults right now, and he complains that they've left late every single day, and he only gets four hours of sleep a night. This is like Groundhog Day. They do this every night. Cody says the same words every night in an angry tone. Nothing changes. What's the point of all this? Nothing. Maybe Cody should imagine how his wives feel. 
He complains they've scheduled too much. He bitches that he can't do this every night. And Christine points out to Cody that they have barely scheduled anything at all. He's the only one complaining about this. And all of them are trying to make this work. That's true. The wives have good attitudes. They're trying really hard to make this work. And Cody is the only one bitching. Cody is the only one throwing a tantrum. His wives are taking care of all the kids and the whole family. They're dealing with everything, the snacks, the potty breaks, this, that, dealing with refereeing the kids. And Cody is the one bitching. The wives are doing the best to make things work. They're the ones with even more added stress. They don't need to also tend to a man baby and his ego on top of it. Cody explains that they're all tired. They're all stressed. So they decided to rally the family together to do a family prayer. Cody explains his anger problem. He says, when you're at a point when you're with your family and you feel like you're going to lose it, you know, losing your temper can do a lot of emotional damage. So Cody knows he could do a lot of emotional damage when he loses his temper. And Cody says he wanted to call on God so that he could maintain his decent disposition. Nothing Cody did that day would reflect a decent disposition if that's what he was thinking he was maintaining. That's interesting. Cody goes on to say that in a family like theirs, it's very important to keep things emotionally safe. I love how one of the people who makes the family the most emotionally unsafe in the future, who refuses to communicate, who refuses to validate or listen to the voices of his wives or kids, who refuses to take accountability, that is the guy who is here saying that he can't get angry. He knows it causes damage. He knows it makes things unsafe emotionally. He knows it's his responsibility here. And we know Cody is the one who contributes the most to that unsafe environment with his still unresolved anger issues even to this day. Now, Cody admits he is far from good at this, but he feels he is trying. Next, we're on day four. It's the last travel day. It's supposed to be the shortest travel day. So the family is stopping at Mark Twain's boyhood home in Missouri along the way. Mark Twain went through Utah during the height of Mormon polygamy, and Mark Twain commented on polygamy when he stayed in Utah for two days. And he said he wanted to learn more about it. He wanted to inquire about it until he saw the Mormon women. And he said they were so homely. They weren't attractive. So Mark Twain concluded that the man that marries one of them has done an act of Christian charity. And the man who marries 60 of them has done a deed of open-hearted generosity so sublime that the nation should stand uncovered in his presence and worship in silence. Robin jokes, poor Cody, he's such a good guy, and they're so lucky that he married them, these ugly polygamous women that they are. And Cody explains his wives, they're not ugly, and then he sticks his foot in his mouth. Cody says, some polygamous women are pretty, some. Christine feels like Cody is slamming them by saying that. And Robin asks if Cody realizes he's shoving his foot in his mouth by saying, well, some are pretty. Now, Christine thinks Cody should let them speak their opinions. And Cody clarifies that all of his wives are pretty, so he's not speaking about himself, but he's seen some. And then, of course, Cody realizes he should stop here. He realizes what he was about to say. And Christine adds that she has seen a lot of ugly polygamous men herself. Mary jokes, wondering what level they should worship Cody at since he has just four wives. And according to Mark Twain, Cody has done an act of Christian charity because according to Mark Twain, he had more than one polygamous wife. But now, of course, Cody has just one wife left. The older kids comment a little bit on this. Leo points out that everyone was ugly back then. Maddie wonders if Mark Twain was ugly. And Cody is amused and he finds it hilarious that Mark Twain feels he should be worshipped. Cody is very amused by this, that Mark Twain thinks he should be worshipped for his act of Christian charity. And Cody makes it clear he isn't offended by what Mark Twain said. Of course not. His ego fucking loves it. Christine says, of course Cody isn't offended. He isn't the one being referred to as ugly and downtrodden. He's the one being called a semi-god. And I'm sure Christine knows Cody's ego loves this. Christine, of course, wants Cody to defend her and his other wives. 
So Cody says, well, Mark Twain must have been referencing all of the other polygamists because his wives are all beautiful. He tells Mark Twain to shut up in order to defend Christine's honor. Now, they get to Nauvoo and Cody explains that when they get there, they first see the river. It's very picturesque. They see some historical homes and then they see the grassy knoll and the temple. And they get to the Hiram Smith home where they're going to be staying, the historical home of Joseph Smith's brother. Christine was very excited to be staying there because she knows Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith had many discussions there and she thinks about that and the historical moments. Robin got goosebumps being in there because this is where Joseph Smith's family was. And Christine realizes her kids will be playing where Joseph Smith's kids played. So she thinks it's really cool. She loves the historical significance. And Cody says he loves Joseph Smith because Joseph Smith's spirit speaks to him. Cody feels that what Joseph Smith did in his life had such a significant impact on his own life. And Cody explains that his trust in the doctrines that Joseph Smith revealed, that is what led him to his beautiful family he has now. In season five, Cody had a beautiful family. Correction, he had a beautiful family. And in later seasons, Cody doesn't feel his family is such a beautiful blessing, instead referring to them as the obstacles to his goals in life. Next, the family is meeting a tour guide, and they're going to be touring Old Nauvoo. And Christine thinks the tour guide looks like Jesus because he has very long flowing hair, and she says it's almost prettier than Cody's, so it'll probably be a problem. She knows how superficial Cody is about his hair. Cody didn't expect someone with longer hair than him, so Cody is taken aback by this. And Christine points out how beautiful the tour guide's hair is. Christine knows it'll get under Cody's skin, and Christine says she herself was even jealous of the guy's hair, and she thinks Cody was jealous of the guy's hair too. Mary asks Cody directly if he was jealous of the tour guide's hair. And Cody tells the truth, and I was amused by this. Cody says that he was jealous that the guy had some hair on his forehead because Cody knows he's losing it fast at this point. The tour guide is Mormon. He's not a polygamist. So Robin explains that their church hangs on to all of the original teachings revealed by Joseph Smith. So sometimes they run into people who talk about these early years in a very vague way, and it's discouraging because Robin wants to explain why they live polygamy, why the FLDS lives polygamy, and why they are raising their kids like this. And Cody points out that maybe the tour guide might want to whitewash parts of the Mormon history, the parts, for example, dealing with polygamy. So Cody lets the tour guide know he doesn't need to whitewash any of the polygamy stuff. Cody thinks the tour guide is going to have all the tea and he's going to be able to explain a lot about that. Now, he explains that Hiram Smith met Brigham Young and Hiram told Brigham that he knew his brother Joseph Smith was telling him things that he wouldn't divulge to him as his brother. So he wanted Brigham Young to tell him the truth about his brother. And he asked if there was polygamy going on. So Brigham Young told Hiram Smith, Joseph's brother, all about polygamy and how it was being practiced secretly even in Nauvoo. And the next day, Hiram went to his brother Joseph and he told him that Brigham spilled the beans. So he told him all about polygamy. He knew about it and he fought his brother hard on polygamy initially. But he decided he was ready to also be the Lord's tool as well now. Hiram suggested to his brother Joseph that they have a scribe write down the revelation that talked about polygamy and its Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, according to the tour guide, Cody explains that Joseph Smith was commanded by God to take plural wives. People thought it was nuts. They wondered if God actually told Joseph Smith or if maybe Joseph made it all up. And Cody believes that God told Joseph Smith to do it. I wonder what Cody thinks now. Now, the tour guide explains that a lot of tourists ask about polygamy, and he says Joseph Smith had about 33 wives, and Cody thought it was 17 wives, but the tour guide explains that there is really good documentation for 33 wives. And Cody looks back at the prophet Joseph Smith, 
and the struggles with plural marriage, and he thinks it's a struggle for those men who had gigantic families. It's a huge challenge. And Cody says he feels Joseph Smith did a fine job of it, but he isn't interested himself in that big a task. In 33 Wives, listen, Cody can't even handle four. The tour guide goes on with some controversial tidbits. He mentions that of Joseph Smith's 33 wives, 12 of those women were also still married to other men at the time they were married to Joseph Smith. And they were sealed to Joseph Smith all while being married to these other guys. So they were wives to multiple men. Now, Christine asks if these 12 wives were just sealed to Joseph Smith or if they were actually acting as if they were married to Joseph Smith while being married to other men. And the tour guide explains these women were wives in every sense of the word. Mary needs clarification, and she asks if they were staying with the two husbands, sleeping with both of them, and the tour guide confirms that they were. She would be Joseph's wife and also another guy's wife. She would act as wife to both men. Robin points out that it would be like brother husbands. Robin is shocked by this. Cody is shocked by this. Everyone is shocked by this. And Cody explains that historians are in disagreement about this. And some historians think this is just an issue where Joseph Smith was doing a symbolic ritual simply so that these people would have a blessing in the next life. But Janelle feels it may be true, maybe not. Maybe there needs to be more explanation as to why those actions were taken. She says everyone is speculating about it, including historians. No one knows the truth, but Janelle isn't bothered by it. She says her testimony doesn't hinge on what Joseph Smith's actions as a man were. Janelle explains Joseph Smith isn't Jesus. He isn't God on earth. He's a guy. Next, the Browns head to Carthage, and Carthage is a very important place in Mormon history. It's where Joseph Smith was killed at the jail there, and Cody explains that the Nauvoo Expositor was a newspaper, and that newspaper was printing that Joseph Smith was a polygamist, he was advocating for polygamy, and it caused a lot of problems within the community. And so the Nauvoo City Council voted to destroy the press. They got rid of the press, and they destroyed the building they destroyed where the press was. They destroyed everything. And across the street from that mayhem and destruction, there was a 22-year-old guy watching the destruction go down, watching the press be destroyed. And that man was William Adams. And William Adams is Mary's great, great, great grandfather watching all this happen. So Will didn't understand why this was happening. He didn't understand the ins and the outs of Nauvoo politics. Christine says she would have been terrified to stand there watching her own community fall apart. So after the burning of the press, Joseph was issued an order to go to court to appear in court for the burning of the press. And so he went to Carthage. He posted bail for the charge. And as he was leaving the courthouse, the sheriff had writs for he and his brother Hiram Smith for the charge of treason. Joseph ordered martial law because things were getting violent. He shut the city down and the state found out about it. The state put out a warrant for Joseph's arrest and then they were jailed in Carthage. And Cody says they claim that Joseph said as he was going to Carthage that he was going as a lamb to the slaughter. Cody thinks Joseph had a foreboding, something telling him this was it. He knew he was going to his death. The tour guide was going to take the family to tour the museum, but the director of the museum didn't want the Browns there because the Browns are polygamists and the director is a mainstream Mormon. Janelle explains that once in a while, it's made clear to them that there is still prejudice against them. And she thinks it's hard to take because she accepts people. So it hurts her that they aren't accepted by the Mormons. Now, interestingly, in Janelle's faith, it's exclusionary. Not everyone is allowed in. If you aren't white, you aren't allowed in. And only men are allowed to be church leaders. So it's not right for Janelle to receive hate because of her faith, but it's also unfair that their faith isn't allowing in. It's hateful that they don't allow in everybody. Everybody isn't allowed to be included. So that's hateful too. That hurts too, I'm sure, for some people. 
Cody's perspective is you can't travel this world, you can't see the whole world and maintain prejudice. So Cody really hopes that his kids get to travel so they can see different cultures so that they can understand that everybody has a heart, everybody has a belief, everybody has a hope. Mary's opinion is just because it's a different belief system than you have yourself, it doesn't mean that it's bad, it doesn't mean that it's wrong in most cases. The Browns next get to see the jail where Joseph Smith was held. And Cody explains that Joseph, he ends up stuck in Carthage in jail with Hiram and the jailer puts them upstairs because they heard rumors that a mob was coming with pitchforks, coming out to get them. It gets intense. And one of the people there was a guy named John Fulmer, John Solomon Fulmer. John Solomon Fulmer is Robin's great, great, great grandfather, and he was in the jail with Joseph Smith. That's who Solomon was named after, her son. Now, John was acting as a lawyer for Joseph Smith. He was trying to get him out of jail, and he left the jail to go get help to try to get him out of jail. And that night was the night when Joseph Smith was murdered. The angry mob was mad about polygamy, so they killed Joseph Smith, and Cody feels he was executed with no jury or trial. And Cody says for the Mormon people, it was an apocalypse, and people had mixed emotions, and the rest of the world might struggle to really understand what they all saw in Joseph Smith. And Cody feels Joseph Smith was inspired by God. He goes on that this experience of the history of their faith is close to home and it's very close to his heart. And Cody thinks when he's sitting there feeling sorry for himself because his wives are treating him like a ping pong ball or they're all nagging about time with him or something like that, he thinks this is crazy. Why am I doing this in those times This trip back to Nauvoo tells him that others have sacrificed so much more just so he could live the principle of plural marriage in peace. So Cody says he feels grateful for the testimony of Joseph Smith and Cody knows it's crazy. It might cost him his life, but he believes in the principle of plural marriage. And of course we know Cody no longer believes he's no longer an advocate. We all know Cody feels much differently about plural marriage now. Three of his wives have left him and he is free from the family, from the wives he referred to as the obstacles to his goals in life. And Cody is still miserable. Cody also always thinks about his sacrifice as the plural husband. The sacrifices the men make. But when will Cody ever acknowledge the huge sacrifices the women have made to live that way, especially with a husband who prioritizes himself and his own convenience above everyone else and everything else. That does it for this episode. I'll be back next week with the next episode of My Sister Wives Rewatch, Sister Wives Season 5, Episode 8, Hard to Say Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Bye.